Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and I am back today as your host on a, on a Monday afternoon, a crisp Monday afternoon. And it'll feel better if you're a Manchester United fan because of the result on Sunday where it was a tight game against Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final. But United battled on and persevered and prevailed on penalties. I'm joined by my colleague Samuel Lockhurst who's been all over the shop this week. He's been out in Spain. He's been down to London in the capital. Samuel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm probably on my third or fourth cup of coffee of the day, but it was, although it was a long day, it was a rewarding one. Sets us up nicely for, for the week ahead with positivity, uh, quickly restored after after the surrender in Seville last week. It definitely was a rewarding trip in the end. Obviously, as I've said, it wasn't exactly a vintage performance, let's say, but after the defeat on Thursday, which we picked apart on last week's podcast and we obviously criticised some performances, Tenog wanted the response. We all wanted to see a response from the players, and the, and the delivered in the end. They progressed to the final, and let's face it: if you told supporters at the start of the season that they were going to win the Carabao Cup, reach the FA Cup final, and qualify for the Champions League, that would have been a fantastic season. So, Sammy, what was your initial verdict leaving Wembley? Because on days like that, all that really matters is the win, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, and. Brighton are such a good side that it, it didn't really matter how United got through that semi-final yesterday as long as they got through it. I always thought it was the bigger of the two games last week. As as, as important as the Europa League is, uh, its its value is diminished by United's league position in that they are all but certain to qualify for the Champions League and they did win the Europa League a few years ago. It, it doesn't uh, over, you know, it does, I don't think any of us have shied away from the fact that the defeat in, Sev- in Seville was one of the worst of the season, and uh, I think everybody could see in the in the aftermath of it that open season was declared, and, and United got both barrels uh, after that performance. But where where the character was lacking in Seville, it was it was back at Wembley because the the quality of United's performance was not it was nowhere near their optimum. There there was there was plenty wrong with it, but. I don't think that Ten Hag will have looked at it in that way. He will have looked at it that it was a taxing week of playing on a Thursday, um, and and then of course playing on, on Sunday. And that that game always had the potential against Brighton to go go right down to the wire, to go the full uh, distance, and to go to the penalty shootout. And of course, it did. So that makes it even more draining on on certain players who who played in midweek and. 
even Bruno Fernandes, he, he wasn't quite what, quite right after he had that ankle injury, but he still soldiered on and completed 90 minutes. And it, it was it was interesting just observing some of the players during the game, when the ball was in play, when the ball wasn't in play. I mean, Anthony was the, probably the only time United's press worked where it forced a, a rare error from Moises Caicedo, who's was otherwise near, I mean, he was near immaculate. He, he, that generated, um, you know, approval from the crowd, and Anthony was practically celebrating it. He was geeing up Valt Verkhorst uh, in extra time during the interval. Fernandez and Anthony were like player coaches. Uh, after they were substituted, they were very, very involved in the dugout. They, Ronaldo, they added an edge to the dugout. Wasn't it? Sorry, Sam. It, it was, was a little bit. Yeah. On Portugal. yeah, yeah, and and Ten Hag has spoken about that character, and he, they were clearly. Um, players from from certain backgrounds who he he really does warm to who he finds endearing and it's not I don't think it's a coincidence that those characters tend to be um, Latino players uh, Anthony Lisandro Martinez Casemiro obviously Fernandez uh, Rafael Varane to a lesser extent but he obviously he lived in Spain for for such a long time and, and is a fluent Spanish speaker and it, it, as I said, in, in the week, there were too many players in that team who just haven't got the character. But even with Jane Sancho, who there, there's still a big question mark over, that there isn't a question mark when he comes on in games because it's it must be manning for Ten Hag. When he comes on as a substitute, he tends to play well and he played well again yesterday and he showed really good bottle to put his penalty away at the opposite end to where he was denied by Gianluigi Donnarumma in the Euros final. Uh to a, to a lesser extent, the character showed by De Gea, he had a dreadful, dreadful midweek in, in Seville, but his, his performance in, in, in the 19 minutes or the 120 minutes, I should say, was was very good. He he, he made one particularly good save. Uh, I think it was the deflection shot. Was it Enciso's shot? I can't quite remember, but that that was a very good save. His, his handling was, was good. And certain players, I'm sure we'll get on to Victor Lindelof, but he's not had a lot of game time since the the season resumed after the World Cup. He started the last three. It didn't go well in Seville, but he played very well against Forest and he played very well again yesterday. And his his penalty was the pick of the lot. So it, it was interesting seeing that although, and, and we go back to last summer and we've, we've discussed how with United and their recruitment, it was clear they placed an emphasis as much on character as, as quality, whereas in previous summers that wasn't always the case. It was always looking at uh, the, the quality and not the character, and you can that 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 can be quite um, you know if 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 you do that, you're on a slippery slope. You look at Angel Di Maria or Paul Pogba and Romelu Lukaku, not necessarily the right characters you want in a certain dressing room, and that showed during their time at United as well. But they've got it right with these players that they've brought in. And there were still some players there from uh, previous regimes who who have that character. And Veghorst is a kind of his performance yesterday was almost symbolic of of the team's performance in that there wasn't a lot of quality, but there was a hell of a lot of effort. And when it came to the crunch of that penalty shootout, he he got it right. He, he stuck his penalty away, and and his act of kidology with with Solly March might have been the most decisive act uh, between the teams um, all afternoon because the the quality of the shootout again prior to to March's miss was was excellent. Um, De Gea seemed to be diving further and further away from penalties, and Sanchez will I think he'll probably have had a sleepless night over. Marcel Sabitzer's penalty, which he probably should have stopped. So, in the end, it was it was that that 
wiliness, that character that just about saw United past, uh, as I said, a very, very good team. If anyone didn't spot it, Vekost uh, kissed the ball as he passed it, Sully March, uh, probably got in his head with that. And then the hero also went and kind of scuff around the penalty. Like um, tended, spot, tended to was, the penalty yeah, spot. Yeah, he didn't like actually do it on the spot, didn't he? did he? So yeah. he was just getting in his head, really, and it, it worked. They didn't yeah. fight it over the bar. So fair play. And yeah. I'm all for a bit of gamesmanship. You, you've got to do that. Credit to, to here, Samuel, as you said. it's. I think as a goalkeeper, especially mentally, one bad game can, can turn into two. Um, and he did respond. But I just kind of feel that game was probably the here in a nutshell. Um, meaning, fabulous, yeah, fabulous shot stopping the display. But it was noticeably reverted to kicking the long end, wasn't it? And he was at every opportunity, yeah. and that was obviously by design. Um, so, but you know, fair play because he did respond as a lot of the players did. And Lindelof and Wambasaka, as you've just discussed, they were another two players who, who responded. Um, Wan-Bissaka probably regressed against Sevilla. I thought he was fantastic uh, yesterday actually up against Matoma who's become one of the best wingers in the Premier League over the last six months mm-hmm. what a find he's been for Brighton um, so how impressed were you with them two because for me they, them two uh, both of those players Lindelof Wan-Bissaka with a stand-up performance that Wan-Bissaka run I think after the hour mark when he pushed forward yeah, yeah. was it S, wasn't it? <laughs> is that too far? <laughs> he, he 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 did no no he he did have a very good game. There wasn't a lot of end product in the final third, but as an overall performance, he was excellent. And Mitoma, I always thought Wambisaka should have started um, the, the the semi final. I know in my actual personal team, I didn't have him in in the eleven because I just thought after the performance in the week where he came off at half time, it was difficult to justify it, but fair play to Ten Hag, he looked at it objectively and he thought, who is the best right back to go up against Matoma? And of course it's Wambasaka. And whereas some Maximan kind of tried to take Wambasaka on down down the byline, that that was probably his mistake because Wambisaka, that's what he wants to do against a winger. That's what he wants a winger to do against him, I should say. Because there's not so much space there. And of course Everyone knows what his sliding tackles are like, and he, he just wins the ball off them. Matoma tried to bypass that and just cut inside and hopefully just, you know, catch Wambisaka unawares. And I think he won a free kick early on, but that was maybe the only time he got a bit of joy against him when he just essentially ran away from him and Anthony um, fouled him. When he tried it again, Wambisaka was wise to it and he, he got his sliding tackle in, and uh, that, that set the tone for the rest of his performance it felt to me because you know in terms of the defending side of it he did next to nothing wrong um and that that, that spirited sprint he went on as well uh you know it brought the crowds the united fans to to the edge of their seat or off their seat which is is rare for him and overall in the last four months he has he has made strides uh, he's he's still a long way off being at the level United require for a starting right back but there are certain occasions where it is useful to have someone who is so um, so specific with their defending and so concentrate on the defensive side of it as a fullback because there are so many good wingers in the Premier League uh, you know it's, it's it's difficult to think of many clubs who don't have you know, a trick up their sleeve uh, via a, a winger. I mean, Martinelli's obviously been excellent for Arsenal. City have got plenty of them. Liverpool have got plenty of them. 
uh, Tottenham even. I know Tottenham are Tottenham, but they've still got uh, players on their day who can give you a really tough game. And there was a lot of focus on Matoma because of what a find he's been at Brighton. And there was a fascinating feature on him in the Sunday Times yesterday. And yeah, that, that game was set up for him to send their uh, J- Japanese Twitter account rocketing into <laughs> uh, into six figures, probably. I think it was on 38,000 at kickoff yesterday. But he just didn't really have much joy against wan And I suppose it was a, a bit of a risk by Ten Hag to take wan off at the time he did. And he moved the pieces around and uh, Dallow went to right back and Malassia went to left back. And of course, Brighton worked that little opening towards the end of extra time where... Matoma's touch was just too heavy and he ended up needlessly colliding into De Gea. But it's, there are certain players there in, in Wambasaka and Lindelof. They've not so, so much improved because Wambasaka's first season at United was actually good. But certainly on last season, Ten Hag has got a rise out of them. And in Wambasaka's case, it is more impressive because he barely had a kick in the first, first three or four months of the season. So he has, to an extent, come good but as I said I I still think he's a long way off the level that Ten Hag wants which is why United are looking at Jeremy Frimpong who's not I mean right back is not necessarily a priority in fact it's quite a long way down the list in terms of areas that United need to strengthen but it is something to keep an open mind on and with Lindelof I've I've been a little bit baffled why he hasn't played more often since the World Cup I, I think that he's shown the first few months of the season that he should absolutely be the third choice centre back there, he he seemed to have quite a good understanding with with Lissandro Martinez when they played uh, alongside each other in in October and November, and apart from maybe one misjudgment where he carelessly conceded a, a corner early in the second half and it, it led to a couple of opportunities for Brighton. I think it was the shot that De Gea saved, and then Welbeck had the free header at the far post. His his reading of the game was 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 excellent and. It's it's interesting with his his penalty kicks. I I was pretty certain that he'd scored for Sweden's under twenty ones when they won the Euros in in twenty fifteen, and um and and he had it was actually the winning spot kick in the final, and it was a similar technique, aiming high, well out of the goalkeeper's reach. Uh, his his penalty in the Europa League final was uh, rather similar, and I think he was the last of United's outfield takers, so it was, it was obviously the last penalty they scored against Villarreal if they're involved in another shootout and he's on the pitch I think a lot of United fans now will be wondering if he's not among the first five takers why isn't he because what was fascinating was that you could see I don't know if the pictures picked it up but Fernandez was pretty much as soon as he noticed it was Lindelof going to take the penalty he was lining up the players and staff to get ready to embark on a celebratory charge because he was so convinced that Lindelof was going to stick it away and it was it was the best of the uh, what was it thirteen penalties converted. It was it was there were some really good penalties, but that was the best by far. It was top corner, and it, it was just his stride as well. He was so casual the way he approached the ball, yet his connection was absolutely perfect. I mean, why the call no goalkeeper was going to get that. Nick, I know he he, he <laughs> lived up he lived up to his he bidding uh, with with that penalty. He certainly did, and uh, as I said, I think that he's. I know he obviously said last month that he may have to evaluate his situation in the summer but he's a player that looking ahead to next season United should be planning with him in mind I think it would be senseless to proactively look to get him off the books unless unless a a big offer comes in which is, is is probably unlikely 
the two players who I had doubts over stepping up were Weghorst and Sancho, which, to be fair, probably most fans had doubts over. And yeah. composed penalties brilliantly taken. So, so fair play to both of them, especially Sancho, as you've just talked about, um, with the Euros and missing that and coming back and at Wembley, the, the scene of the crime as such. Um, going back mm. to, to Wan-Bissaka quickly, Samuel, we've talked about Carida and Wan-Bissaka was out in the cold at the start of the season. He was told he could leave the club, had that four-minute cameo against Liverpool. Then I think it's 170 days he didn't play for again. Um, obviously, he came back against Burnley in the League Cup. Um, but to force his way back into Ten Hag's plans, that's what I kind of wrote about today. And don't get us wrong, I think we all agree, as you've just said, the jury remains out on his long-term future and what lies next but in the meantime this season I've just been so impressed by his character and his resilience and to come back and to actually make a make a battle at right back with Diego Dallo who we all regarded as the first choice out and out right back and and this has been once a likely battle that's now developed and Ten Hag's chopped and changed between the pair so he, he really deserves credit for that doesn't he in showing that kind of resilience to battle back into the team yeah he does and he, he took his chance in the Dalo was uh, got an injury at the World Cup. He came in and he had that opportunity, and he's he's done re- pretty well by and large, as I said over the last. It's, it's, I mean, it's pretty much four months now. So yeah. um, he's he's given himself a chance in terms of staying at United beyond this season. That there, there are always going to be doubts about him, as there are doubts about a number of players at the club. I mean, I don't think United are able to put a specific number on. On outgoings, but they are aware that there need to be a lot of outgoings, and there was there's an element of them being a bit self congratulatory about the players that left last year, um, referring to the, the ones who actually left on freeze, which is you know is, is a bit peculiar in that they their, their contracts ran down, and in a couple of those cases they were trying to get them to sign new contracts. I mean Jesse Lingard was in discussions over a new contract. Why? Paul Pogba was in discussions over a new contract, or his, his agent was again. It almost why? seems a lifetime uh, ago that, but it doesn't at the same time. I know so it does. Ronaldo it does. Was, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, it almost makes me feel ten years younger. But that, <laughs> that's um, that's the I, I suppose the, um, uh, the 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 mental perils of uh, of covering Manchester United. What happened less than a year ago um, feels like it was about ten years ago. So much happens in between. Um, so yeah, I with with one one Bissaka, you can't get too carried away. Similar with De Gea, I know De Gea is obviously almost certainly going to stay because again they are they're in discussions over renewal, and I still think it's inevitable that he'll sign it. But his his performance in in the final it was saving saves he should make. The the most impressive one was the deflected one, but I thought the best save of the day was uh, Robert Sanchez from Rashford. Uh, that was a that was a borderline great save. Uh, with De Gea, you, you kind of saw the best and worst of him and that he's, he's kicking actually started all right, but then it regressed and to the point that at goal kicks, Brighton fans were, um, you know, there was air in their sardonic chant <laughs> about him, which I suppose is unrepeatable. And when it came to the penalty shootout, uh, the poor, poor bloke, it was it was geared up for him to, to have another Gdanskin that he lost both coin tosses as to who was going to take it first and which end it was going to be. Because obviously Brighton took the penalties, the, the penalty was taken up the Brighton end and Brighton went first as well. And uh De Gea's penalty record is is pretty infamous. He he did you know did 
kind of claw it back last season by denying Mark Noble and, and Ismail Assar. But I think Ty said he's in shootouts. He's conceded his last, was it his last 17 now, I think? Yeah, I mean, uh, when the game went to penalties, I was sure that United were, were crashing out. I thought Brighton were going to win at that point. You never the only The only thing that... At the spot. The only thing that I... I thought United have a chance here is because it quite coincidentally of prior to yesterday, they'd won one shootout in their last eight, which was against Rochdale. And the goalkeeper for Rochdale that night was Robert Sanchez. Uh, it was a funny quirk. Season on loan I, there. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what are the odds? And, exactly. And, and that night there was a penalty save, um, by United goalkeeper, but of course it was Sergio Romero. De Gea had a night off, so I think the only previous shootout De Gea would have been involved in would probably have been uh, the Sunderland League Cup game. When in fairness, he did he did make a couple of saves, but that that evening is more infamous for Phil Jones uh, booting the ball at someone's face and the crowd and kicking the ball like it was a like he was a rugby player, but. You know, it's, it's not the first time Phil Jones has kind of more resembled a rugby player than a, than a football <laughs> player. So, uh, so some overdue uh, some overdue luck in a, in a shootout for De Gea anyway, and he didn't even have to make a save. Just had a quick Google of where Sergio Romero is now, because I knew he went to Italy. But do you know where he is now, Samuel? I bet you do. But I he was at Venezia, wasn't he? But I don't know if he Boca, is still. Boca Juniors, no? Boca Juniors, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah I didn't know that, so. There you go. Uh, we'll end that for part one, and we'll be back in a moment for part two. Now, just before we get into part two, Samuel, I'll direct the listeners across to the YouTube channel where we have Eric Tenog's press conferences being uploaded now. So go ahead, check them out, and I'm sure you can hear Samuel and Ty asking questions. Um, and also with it's an extra podcast now to so make sure to check that out on Spotify and Apple and whatnot or wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, Samuel will continue with the analysis. I thought it was worth talking about Fred because um, he came on uh, around 60 minutes, replaced Christian Eriksen who looked a bit leggy. Uh, um, I don't think he's had a... After looking so good against Nottingham Forest, I think he's had a bit... The two games weren't were too good. Um, Fred's come in and he that's what he brings for me is energy and, 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 and legs in that midfield and I thought he really made the difference and I didn't think it was a coincidence that after Fred got introduced to the game that coincided with the best spell of the game for United. It was around 10-15 minutes from the hour mark, I think 75, where United looked quite good and looked like they were going to score. Um, do you think it's been a bit bizarre really that Fred's not started as much this season? He's made 10 Premier League starts. Last season he made 24 Premier League starts. Or do you just think it was always going to happen with Casemiro coming in? Um, obviously Fernandes is a movable object in that midfield, isn't he? So um, he's been a bit of a spare part this season, hasn't he? Uh, he hasn't, he hasn't. I think that Ten Hag was managing him sensibly up until maybe last Six month. Six weeks ago. Yeah. And when, when Casemiro was suspended, you thought, well, okay, well, Fred will we'll get a look in now. And he's not actually started in the in in the league since the, the thumping at Liverpool, which is, I mean, you could read into that what you will, but I think that would be quite harsh on him yeah. given... Uh, some of the other starts that day and certain performances some of those players have had since then as well. I mean, Veghorst has started in the Premier League since uh, that that annihilation. But he he is an extremely useful player. Again, he's a player that 
you can't say with absolute certainty he will be at United next season just because Ten Hag wants a midfielder. And if they're going to sign a midfielder, a midfielder is going to cost a lot. And how do you bankroll that? Well, you have to sell a midfielder. Who is the midfielder they would sell? Possibly Fred because he's 30, um, because two of the midfielders were signed in the summer and because McTominay is the youngest midfielder. So you do not want to be upping your average age, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Nevertheless, I think he's he has worth um, in the United squad uh, beyond this season. He doesn't get injured very often. He's very energetic. He certainly, w- when we were looking at, the, the the game yesterday and it was clear that United needed to freshen it up somewhere or other because the performance level wasn't particularly good and it didn't seem likely that Ten Hag would make a change to the front four even though I mean Marshall he, he wore gloves and they stayed on the whole game because he clearly didn't do enough jogging to actually warm up but it was a sensible move to take Ericsson out because there are a lot I mean he does come off quite a lot in games anyway but he did look leggy in the week against Sevilla. He looked possibly leggier uh, against Brighton. And of course, Fred has that good understanding with Casemiro. He knows him and has played with him a number of times in the in the national side. And if it's going to penalties, you've also got a pretty decent penalty taker. I think he's he's I think he's probably scored two out of two for United. There, there are certain United players who have. Uh, unassumingly good penalty shootout records. Yesterday was um, three out of three for for Diogo Dallo. Uh, it might might even be three out of three for Fred. In fact, um, he might have scored against Middlesbrough last year as well. So you've you've got to always think with that in mind, especially where you get to a position that you're taking off two good, two very good dead ball strikers in in Fernandez and Anthony, you've got to ensure that you have a good number of players you can trust from 12 yards and Fred is is one of those players so he certainly did energise United and they had that with Sancho as well as I said I thought Sancho was very creative and um, much more penetrative and probing on the ball than than he was in Seville where he, he, he just hid that night and that's why again there's, there's, there's always going to be a question mark about him going forward but where 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 United have got Casemiro and Eriksen available at the moment, that's always going to make you think, well, you know, Fred is going to struggle for starts. But maybe looking ahead to that Tottenham game on on Thursday, that does strike me as a game that you may want to have him involved in. And also, biggest of all, the FA Cup final, the last time United played City, Anthony came out of the team and Fred went into it to... As, as a tactical tweet to Kansas City, it was it was probably the only time all season that Christian Eriksen started as the number ten, and that was to accommodate Fred. And he's had a couple. He's in fact he's had at least three really good big performances this season: Tottenham home, Barcelona away, and City at home. Um, I think did I say no? I meant Barcelona at home. Sorry, when he got the equaliser. But even away at Barcelona, he had a dreadful first fifty minutes. But after Barcelona yeah, one, went one nil up, he was really good. He played a brilliant ball for Rashford to equalise and he had a, a strong end to that game. So he's got that big game now about him and you can't write him off as being a possible starter in the cup final, I don't think. I think that's something that Ten Hag absolutely has to consider um, with the options he, he has, especially as well if, if Garnacho's fit for that. You have to look and wonder, do you play Rashford up front? Do you play Garnacho off the le- uh, on the left? And... Or would you play Fernandez on the wing? Possibly, I think United will be in a, you know, injury permitting, of course. But 
I think United have got a reasonable chance of having quite a good squad to to assemble for that cup final as far as game changes go uh, to turn to on the bench. We said on Friday's podcast that although this team does throw in the occasional shocker, um, they do have form for bouncing back under Ten Hag and, and showing that character. Um, you think about that Liverpool defeat, the 7-0, they come out and they win, defeat Real Betis quite comfortably in the end. And obviously they've done that again this weekend. But I think Ten Hag talks after the game about, look, that's what we need to learn. We need to deal with these setbacks during the game, not in the next game, and they need to produce consistency. Now that's the challenge for next season, isn't it, Samuel? But how worrying is it going to be, see if at the start of next season, and we'll have these these occasional performances creeping in again? Because it's really going to hinder the progress this team can make because they really do need to find consistency because that's the, the biggest criticism of them this season, despite the progress, despite the good results, is they can throw in a shock act, aren't they? And even though they bounce back, it's it just can't happen. And and he always says it can't happen, and then it happens again. So that yeah, he he will bingo. be extremely frustrated about that. I mean, I think I think post severe was probably the angriest I've seen heard him uh, in defeat because I think he he will have known how bad that looked and how bad it was and crikey it it was dreadful uh i think we were all a little bit gobsmacked in a way that united could still serve up such dross having done it a few times already this season so in some ways it was a surprise but in most ways it wasn't a surprise unfortunately uh for united and when you're coming up against the 13th placed team in la liga if you're cowed or if you're unnerved by some ticker tape coming down from the stands and some Andalusians chanting loudly, then you're at the wrong club. And I think Ten Hag knows that quite a few of them are at the wrong club. That was a it wasn't even an acid test uh, in Seville, but it was a test for for some players and I mean they they all failed it, but some are are going to be there next season, some won't be there next season. And that's why United need to be proactive with their outgoings. They're their away form, I, I remember when you raised it about four or five weeks ago, maybe not even that long ago. And I said at the time, I didn't see it as a concern because there's still enough time in the season and it's it's Ten Hag's first season. But then I think since then, the Newcastle game and the Severe game have happened and it is a justifiable concern now. And when you look at their away form, United have actually beaten, I think it's the the bottom five leads, Leicester, Everton, Forest, Southampton, they've beaten them away from home. They've not played Bournemouth yet away, uh, who are 15th. They have played Wolves away, who are 14th. They beat them. So their their record away from home against the Fodder is pretty immaculate. The trouble is when you scroll up the table and you look at, sounds a bit random, but the top 12. So 12th, Palace away, Drew. Chelsea away, Drew. Brentford away, Thumped. Fulham away, won very, very narrowly with an added time goal. Yeah, Not played actual. Brighton yet. Liverpool annihilated. Villa, it's a bit of a horror show that nobody mentions because there are more horrific performances. Uh, Tottenham away is on Thursday. Newcastle away, horror show. City away, horror show. Arsenal away, uh, lost narrowly, but that scoreline really did flatter them. Yeah, yeah. So looking at it like that, I mean, that's I think that's something like, what is it? Uh, three points against Fulham, a uh, point against Chelsea, point against Crystal Palace. Is it what five five points against? Yeah, the top I would do the point. They've become flat track bullies almost, defeating the defeating the, the lower half teams. But there's just big atmospheres, big games away from home, and they're struggling. They really yeah. are. Yeah, 
yeah, and and that's that that will be the concern for Ten Hag, as you say. They are big games. They are big atmospheres. The atmosphere at St James's Park is, and I've I've experienced good atmospheres at St James's Park before because United did, uh, sorry, Newcastle did have a couple of good wins against them under Benitez and then Steve Bruce, but it was a different atmosphere. And yeah. you saw what Newcastle did to Tottenham yesterday. I mean, they they really probably should have topped. Philippe Albert's chip in in nineteen ninety six, but that was that was just just beyond them, unfortunately for for the tune. Uh, so th- that, going into next season, that has got to be addressed because I, I thought the performance away at Chelsea in the first half was was pretty good, and they sh- they had two great chances to be ahead at half time, but overall it was quite an even game, and and the, the, the draw was was fair, and that was a draw that Casemiro got in in added time as well. So. Um, if you were to boil it down to actually their away record against the top 11, the points have only been gained with goals in stoppage time. Well, the three points were gained in stoppage time and, and obviously the point at Chelsea was in stoppage time. So that that's... There's not there's not really an acid test away from home to come between now and the end of the season. The game against Tottenham is a big game, but it's not as big as it perhaps should have been or the, the rights holders would have hoped it would be because Tottenham are, are being Tottenham at the moment. I don't think West Ham away that that doesn't have the makings of a big game. Brighton away is is a really good test for United because Brighton are an excellent side, as we said, and that's going to be a that's always very very tough going there. I don't think United have ever really had it easy there, apart from the first game behind closed doors and and the second one somehow they they won and when they were very very fortunate to with that. That penalty that was awarded after after the game had ended uh, randomly, very very strange times, and I think they're away at Bournemouth in the penultimate weekend of the season. But that's not even on telly, which would indicate that the rights holders think Bournemouth will have stayed up by then, and United will be in in the top four. So, uh, yeah, that I mean, it has to. They can they can improve it between now and the end of the season, but the issues are still going to stand come the end of the season, whether they win all those away games where they lose all those away games or whatever they do. And to be fair, obviously, I know it's a cliche and I've said it many, many times in this podcast, but this year was always going to be a quote-unquote transitional period. And yet the defied expectations have had a fantastic year. So there was always going to be something to work on, wasn't it, going into next year? And yeah. out of all the things to work on, all the things you can kind of, you know, pick your, pick, pick out, like away form, it's kind of understandable going away at these big games. It is going to be difficult, but it does need to be solved. You can't be folding when you represent Manchester United in the in the manner that have in, in a few of these games this season. Um, but on big games, I mean, we said it's not a big game, but I'll pretend it is. We'll leave that there for part, part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three to discuss Tottenham. Now, Samuel, as you've mentioned, Newcastle absolutely steamrolled Tottenham on Sunday afternoon just before the game at Wembley. Um, five goals in 20 minutes. I could not believe my eyes, believe me. Um, and 6-1 was the final score. Um, I don't know what Tottenham were thinking, replacing Conte with Stellini, really. Stellini is as disliked as Conte was among the players. Obviously, there's this questions over the players' mentality, but to sack Conte and keep Stellini, it was baffling, really. And I think they're just reaping what they sowed. United uh, visit in London on Thursday night. Um, what are your expectations for the game? Because I'm quite, I'm hoping for a, a, quite a dominant performance. Because this season from United, that's one thing we've not saw for them really. We've not saw them put a team to the sword in the Premier League. We've not saw a big scoreline. 
So if Newcastle can do it, come on, United have individually got the better talent. Let's see a big scoreline. Let's see let's see some goals. Let's see the goals flowing. Do you think that's going to happen? No. <laughs> you <laughs> know, I, I, I would, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be, uh, given how egregious Spurs were at Newcastle, I would be staggered if they are somehow. Yeah, they have to book up right guys, won't they? There, there has to come a point, and we saw it with Liverpool. Liverpool got an absolute tonking by Real Madrid, and I, I remember saying at the time, I said that's that's actually probably the worst thing that could have happened for United because you can bet your life that they are not going to do that when United turn up, and of course they didn't. There were there were seven more goals at Anfield, and this time they they all went to the home team. With with Tottenham, the the atmosphere there last year was pretty toxic because it was Nuno Espirito Santo's last game. You had the farce of Tottenham's process trying to get a new manager, and they literally it seemed like they talked to every available manager on the planet before settling for Nuno Espirito Santo, who they'd initially ruled out because he, he jarred with what they wanted from a manager, and then in the end they decided to appoint him. And he lasted about five minutes, and that was his that was his last game. And United went into that game on the six days after getting thumped by. Liverpool 5-0 which did signal the beginning of the end for Solskjaer and he shouldn't have been in charge at Tottenham but they didn't have a they didn't have a succession plan believe it or not so he he limped on for a few more weeks and and that was his last win so that was what a bad that shows just goes to show what a bad shape Tottenham were were in at the time and even when Conte was their manager against United in in the two games against at Old Trafford earlier in the season Tottenham were really really bad united were great united were i said at the time i think it was their their best performance in in five and a half years that that i'd seen watching them uh, they were absolutely switched on they should have they should have beaten them 6-1 the chances they had that night they were they were excellent it's it certainly as a as a performance that still represents the high point under ten hag and united's form in the premier league has picked up certainly since the newcastle game they did the job against Brentford in a in a professional way. They they, they had a, they had enough chances to win a month full of games against Everton, but only won by a modest two uh, two goals to nil. And it was the same against Forest, where they were pretty relentless in the second half. They did step it up after a relatively even first half, but they they got the job done. So in terms of putting a team to the sword, I still have my doubts that they'll do that this season. I think that that may be something to look towards uh, look to for next season and Tottenham have still got something to play for it, it sounds strange to say that it's, it feels strange that they're even fifth in the in the league uh, league table and if they do beat United then they go go only three points behind them but United have got the two games in hand I mean however you try and dress it up or try and dramatize it I don't think anybody thinks that United will throw it away as far as as far as top four is concerned, obviously Aston Villa are, are on a great run under under Unai Emery at the moment. But moment, the momentum is certainly with Newcastle and United have regained momentum as far as their league form is concerned. And uh, it, it is a big week with Tottenham away and Villa Villa at home, the, the two teams below them in the table. But where that FA Cup final place has been secured and where Tottenham are just Tottenham at the moment it doesn't feel quite as big as it, it maybe should be because nobody I, there won't be a Tottenham fan out there who who thinks that they can uh, they can usurp United at this stage 
certainly not the ones who left after 20 minutes at St James's Park I'd think so <laughs> regarding any changes for the game Samuel obviously the back four uh, Wembley with Dallo Lindelof and uh, Luke Shaw at left centre back and Van Bissaka. Um with Shaw playing at left centre back he kind of came out after and he said it was a position he enjoys it's a role that he quite likes and he's been exceptional in the position this season when he's been called upon and um, do you think Harry Maguire comes back into that side on, on Thursday because to be honest I'd, I'd be half tempted just to persevere with the back four that played against Brighton but I think politically he'll probably put Maguire back in well, politically, he probably shouldn't put Maguire back in because <laughs> then he he undermines the club's outlook on on the future. Uh, like you saw, do you think you will? I, I think you'll play. Oh, yeah. I think you'll play. Uh, I'd be impressed. Not necessarily, I'd be, I'd be I, quite I, taken. I, yeah, I think. I think if if, if if he's if he if he is if he is a seriously ruthless coach, he would not play him because you look at the recent games. And what was what game did United's defence have the best performance in? And it was it was against Brighton, and that was without Maguire. Against Forest, he gave away a foul, got booked. Uh, there was a penalty check on on a handball, and it was the right decision. It's I, I didn't think that was a penalty. And then of course you go to Seville, and he's involved in the in the capitulation that um, the, the capitulation from United that night. I just don't see any logic to playing someone who objectively, in, in my opinion, is the fifth best centre-back at United. Uh, Shaw has started seven games at centre-back this season. United haven't lost one of them yet. I think they've won five, drawn two. He's he slotted in really impressively there. And you can say, well, you're coming up against Harry Kane, who is one of the best strikers on the planet. Shaw did fabulously against the best striker on the planet in in Erling Haaland back in January. Uh, Lindelof has has got good rhythm at the moment. He's had two good performances against Forest and Brighton, uh, and I also think he looks a lot more comfortable playing on the right side of defence when Maguire plays. Maguire has to play on the right side of defence. Lindelof did quite well earlier in the season when he had a left footer next to him in Martinez. So you've got to do what's best for the team. And what's best for the team, in my opinion, and I'm sure a lot of others would would go along with it, is to go with um, Shaw and Lindelof. I'm not convinced about two right, right-footed fullback starting. I thought that was a... It's not that a good look on Malasia yesterday. No, but it's not a good it's not a good look on Malasia, but Malasia has not looked good either uh, when he's no, played yeah. of late. He and also yesterday uh, he got skinned. I can't remember who it was. It was right in front of us towards the end of extra time. But uh, he's there's a lot of work to be done there at yeah. the moment. He's you you cannot say that he's a he's a good defender and. Um, you know, Dallo is is the better defender. Wambasaka is a far better defender. So there is there would be some logic going with it, but it's it's a means to an end. Nobody's pretending that United see two right-footed fullbacks as as the way forward. It's just it's unfortunate for well, unfortunate is probably pushing it. In fact, I mean, Ten Hag signed Malasia. He saw Malasia. If if Malasia can't hack it, then that's that's on on Ten Hag. Yeah. It's on the player. They they've got to work that out at some point or another, so that he's in a position where he can feel comfortable starting him in in in, in a in a game of some significance again. 
so I, I yeah, with, with the back four, I could, I, I wouldn't be totally against Ten Hag going with the same back four that that played at Wembley, and as as for the front six, it the way it's shaping up, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if he was to to go with, I suppose, overall the same side again. But I do think it's worth considering Fred as the option. Uh, since he is he's extremely fresh. I mean, he didn't even play, didn't even go. Um, uh, he wasn't in the Brazil squad during the March internationals. So he's got to be fresh as a daisy and you've got to maximise that at this stage of the season. I mean, the cup final is what? Is it six, just under six weeks away, I think it is. Uh, third so of July, yeah. you, you don't want to be, yeah, third of June. So you don't want to be, you don't want to be leaving him undercooked for that. And as I said, I think there's a there's an outside chance he could be starting that if he's fit. Tell you what, I'm furious they've made the FA Cup final. I'm mentally on the beach at that point. Working on July 3rd. It's, it's in June, region, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, June, I'm saying July. Um, yeah, blame blame FIFA giving the World Cup to Qatar and <laughs> holding it in the winter. Happen. What a great now, I'm completely on the was. same page with you, Samuel, uh, with the back four, but I have something in, inside it tells us you'll, you'll play Maguire, which is contradictory considering you're right. We do kind of consider we want to be as ruthless manager. I can definitely see it happening when the teams are confirmed. On Thursday, um, something to look forward to. Uh, I'll send you a message as soon as the teams are released, and we'll have a little laugh, in one way or the other. Um, thank mm. you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, absolute pleasure, and thank you to listeners as usual. Have a brilliant week. Uh, enjoy the game on Thursday, and we'll be back on Friday for a post Tottenham podcast. Thanks, and take care.